0: Our first reading today is taken from the book of Sirach. In older Bibles, it was known as Ecclesiasticus, meaning church book. Sometimes called The Wisdom of Sirach, this book is filled with a treasury of wise and well-crafted teachings. Today's selection teaches readers to be discerning in judgment. Appearances can be deceptive. Sirach describes three things that initially seem impressive. First is a sieve filled with fine grain. The second, a beautiful clay artifact ready for the kiln. And the third, a fruit-bearing tree. What was initially impressive disappoints under further scrutiny. When the heap of grain in the sieve is shaken, inedible husk appear. When the artifact shaped out of clay emerges from the kiln, it is broken or cracked. When the fruit of the tree is tasted, It proves to be unappealing. Sarah's lesson is that the initial impressions may have to change. People may impress us until we hear the words they speak. Words reveal what lies deep and unseen within the heart. You really can't judge a book by its cover. For this reason, Sarah cautions against praising people until their speech proves them praiseworthy. An example from the law of Moses, which Sarah studied closely, can be found in Esau, the son of Isaac. Esau was a skillful hunter and Isaac's favorite son, his firstborn. But when we hear Esau speak for the first time in Scripture, he sells his birthright for some food. And we have to wonder if the praise of him was premature. Today's gospel reflects sayings from Luke's version of Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. Luke uses a wisdom teacher's style with instructions for how one lives in the kingdom of God. The main emphasis is to live out one's covenantal relationship with God by imitating God. A disciple of Jesus must be compassionate just as God is compassionate. Jesus' teaching about judging others is clear and rather unambiguous. It is not to be tolerated. Not only is judging others wrong, But much of the time, it is rooted in hypocrisy. Others are severely judged and criticized by those who themselves manifest the same faults and failings. In other words, we hate most in others, but we hate most in ourselves. The splendor detected in another's eye reflects the wooden beam in the eye of the one who judges. One must first tend to one's own deficiencies and wrongdoings before attending to another's. The impression is that this will be full-time work with little time left over to focus or judge others. Using the analogy that good trees produce good fruit, Jesus points out, so it is with people. This should be understood as a driving force behind all discipleship. Character produces action. The old scholastic philosophers used to emphasize that a person cannot give what he or she does not have. And this is very much the point that Jesus is making here. It reflects the wisdom by which Jesus lived, a wisdom that is concrete and practical, reflecting life as it really is. No one can be an authentic follower of Jesus and live like a hypocrite. Discipleship is not an actor playing a role. Discipleship is following in the footsteps of the teacher, realizing that imitating him is equal to imitating God. It requires mutual correction and encouragement. All this is a profile for living in the kingdom of God. There is a story that about Mark Twain that may help illustrate the point. Mark Twain was at a dinner party whose guest included a businessman notorious for having made his money by sharp dealing and by unscrupulously and aggressively squeezing money out of his clients. At one point in the evening, the fellow cornered Mark Twain and piously announced Before I die, Mr. Twain, I intend to make a pilgrimage to Mount Sinai and read the Ten Commandments aloud there. Mark Twain suggested, I have a better idea. Why don't you stay right here in Boston and practice those Ten Commandments? Twain was a a keen observer of human nature. He knew quite a bit about religion, but it does not take a theologian to figure out that this fellow was routinely breaking several of the commandments. His worst transgression, however, was probably the idol worship of making money, his God. It was rather easy for Twain to punctuate the hypocrisy of this blowhard businessman's piety, but there is even more duplicity at work here in the case of religious leaders. Jesus reserved some of his harshest criticism for the Pharisees. Hypocrisy is the occupational hazard of the religious profession. Ralph Waldo Emerson once noted, People are very inclined to set moral standards for others. Of course, the implication is that we may not use the same criteria to regulate our own life. Clergy of all faiths are in a precarious position here, for it is expected they will publicly preach morality. After all, it's the job. But there is a phrase which shows why abuse perpetrated by any clergyman is particularly scandalous. The corruption of the best is the worst of all. Perhaps the childlike attitude endorsed by Jesus is the safeguard against hypocrisy that he so vehemently denounced. Journalist Mignola McLaughlin observed, children lack morality, but they also lack fake morality. And isn't that faking the essence of hypocrisy? In Luke's version of the condemnation of hypocrisy in today's gospel, Jesus directs the message not only to the Pharisees, but to us his own disciples. Later in the same gospel, these same disciples are told to accept the kingdom like a little child, a little child who is innocent but totally dependent. Now, as we approach the Lord's table, profoundly aware of our need for both forgiveness and nourishment, so that we might not only proclaim the gospel but live it. Let us join with our celebrants in his prayer of communion that this Eucharist may not bring us judgment and condemnation, but instead healing in mind and body.